I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. And we've got a lot in the nation today, friends. We're going to talk about all the comic book fair at CinemaCon this week. We're remembering comic book artist Neil Adams, who juiced up such works as Batman and X-Men and the Avengers. And we're going to talk with our special guests, DMZ showrunner Roberto Patino and star Benjamin Bratt, who plays Parco Delgado. But before we go there to the DMZ, and that's quite the place to go, Anthony is just back from Vegas. So my friend, honestly, watching all the coverage that came from the Deadline team with you guys, you and the rest, I feel like I feel like CinemaCon's become Comic-Con. Well, yes and no. You know, Warner Brothers brought a lot of goods. Uh, they, they dropped, first of all, they were very fearless about showing off anything. With, they were very fearless to show off Ezra Miller and uh, The Flash. They dropped a trailer for The Flash and Michael Keaton's Batman is very present in that. And they didn't have to do that. That movie doesn't come out until like next summer, uh, 2023. And, you know, Disney, very interestingly enough, they showed off 20 minutes, a very generous 20 minutes of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which will keep people very happy, picking off right after WandaVision, and I'd argue a little after Spider-Man No Way Home, because there is a reference to it in the beginning. And well, that's, then, what you were, that's what you were always pressing for. Yeah, and then there was, instead of trotting out, say, a look at Thor Love and Thunder or Wakanda Forever, they decided to go and drop the footage for Avatar 2, finally, finally. And that, that trailer is going to run exclusively in theaters for a week uh, on Doctor Strange 2 before they drop it online, which is their way of being generous to theaters. But so while Disney was, Disney's usually very conservative in what they show Marvel-wise, versus what they strut out, say, at um, Comic-Con. But um, DC, they had a lot to show off. They, the, the announcement of Batman 2, which was, you know, we knew was coming. Uh, they had the whole cast from Shazam, Fury of Gods there. And uh, Dwayne Johnson showed up with showing off Black Adam and DC Super Pets. So, you know... Obviously, there, there's always a lot going on in, in, in the world. I mean, look, you know, just now, John Watts is en- exiting Marvel's Fantastic Four, you know, the Spider-Man director. Do you feel like in this first kind of big conference like this post-pandemic, do you feel like you feel like movies are back? Oh, yeah. That was very apparent there. I mean, even when you hear someone such as Brian Robbins, uh, the new CEO of Paramount Studios, you know, this was a guy when he took over for Jim Giannopoulos there, there was a, um, there was buzz that this guy was ready to collapse windows and make fewer theatrical films. And that's the total opposite. This guy is very much about theatrical, very much about even non-tenpole movies like Middle Fair movies pointing out like, hey, Scream, Jackass Forever and Lost City, those did well. But yeah, it was very much a very loud beating of the drum that cinema, that uh, that big screen was back. And it, of course, it comes on the heels of, of Netflix collapsing. Yeah, well, collapsing. Let's just, yeah. I think there's a little hyperbole there. I think Netflix are having a very bad week, couple of weeks, but I think maybe what we're seeing is less a 2000 tech bubble burst and more an equilibrium of a number of factors, the least of which aren't 
geopolitical in many ways. I agree. But they've got way too much content and a lot of it is, most of it's mediocre. And maybe that's, it's the time is what there needs to be here is more quality, less quantity. But I think everybody acknowledges that and we'll see where that goes. And hey, stock markets like gravity, man. What goes up has to come down. On another note, I just want to mention, we lost one of the greats today. And one of the things on Hero Nation, Hero Nation would not exist. Clearly, most of the movies and, 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 and events that Anthony experienced in Vegas would not exist. Most of this industry and the movies that keep the lights on in Hollywood would not exist without the great Neil Adams, who passed away at the age of 80. Now, there's a lot you can say about Neil Adams. You know, he was a legendary artist, a legendary artist. He did works on Batman. He did works on Green Lantern, Green Arrow. He did uh, the first black DC Comics, first black superhero, Green Lantern, John Stewart, not the host of The Daily Show. Um, and it was revolutionary with characters like Dead Men, The Avengers, and then, you know, I marvel with The Avengers and X-Men and others. I don't want to center on two things. When I was a kid, I read nothing but comics. Taught me to learn how to read, clearly, and maybe for better or worse. But I, when I was around eight years old, one of my cousins handed me Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' Green Lantern, Green Arrow series from the early 70s. This is a series where Green Arrow's partner, Speedy, was a drug addict. This was a series where Green Lantern in what he thought was going into the ghetto to stop, stop a fight was confronted by the residents of that neighborhood who were saying, why are you always backing the man when we're the ones who are suffering? And just because he owns this doesn't mean he's the right person. It was a revolutionary series, a revolutionary look at what was in America during a very revolutionary time. And from obviously it came out when I was very, 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 very young, when I read it much later, but for many people I know and people I've spoken to over the years, it completely transformed for them, including Stan Lee, who, who talked about this once. It completely transformed for them what comic books could do, the stories they could tell. And that was in many, many ways, thanks to the, the genius of Neil Adams, who I had a great chance to meet at a New York Comic Con once. And he was sitting there with all the people there, all the movie stars, all the hump and, and all the hoopla for that. The man who really did the business was sitting there at a table talking to fellow artists. And he was talking to them one-on-one -on -one in a way that lots of people, especially in this town, can fake humility. This was a man who was generally interested, looking at young up-and-comers' work, giving them advice. When he was standing there signing things that he was meant to make a buck off, he was talking to people. So before we go and talk about DMZ, before we go and talk about anything else, I just want all of us to give a salute to Neil Adams. He was one of the greats. We lost him. He will never forget him. Dominic. That was a beautiful remembrance. I mean, I, I'm sorry, Paul Harvey could not do that. Well, thank you. It was really beautiful. And on that note, I'd like to welcome our guest today, DMZ showrunner Roberto Patino and star Benjamin Bratt. Welcome. Okay, guys, well, thank you for being with us. Thank you for all across America. We're DMZing this today. Roberto, right off the start, I want to talk to you. And Ben, I'd like to get your insight into this as well. Um, you know, you guys, you adapted the, the famous comic series, but you kind of didn't. You took more of the stories from the periphery. I mean, let's be honest. The original DMZ is pretty much a, a white guy superhero story in another America. 
This was a story about the people we saw in the background around the rim of this story, but you and obviously Ava as an EP, you guys really went for something else here. Why did you do that? My follow-up, Ben, is did that appeal to you in getting involved with this? Hmm. Um, I'll, 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 I'll take this one, Ben, and then you can follow up. Uh, I, look, DMZ was, is one of my favorite comic series of all time. It came out in 2005 at a very specific time and place. It's post 9-11 America, and our military was interred in the Middle East. Um, and it, <laughs> you know, ideates a second American civil war that's predicated on those two ideas to adapt something so specific, uh, so specifically grounded in that time and place now just does the, the whole story a disservice. It's a, I mean, the concept of civil war, of an American civil war when, that, when this show came out was, was a, it was a comic uh, hook, you know, yeah. it was akin to like alien invasions. It, it was so far gone. Um, and I remember reading it, being chilled by it. And now, you know, 12 years later, it takes on a completely different uh, resonance. So it needed to be updated. And so a lot of the frames of the comic, actually one of the characters played by Jordan Preston Carter, Odie, um, literally came out of what you just said, Dominic. It's a frame where the lead in the comic, this, this photojournalist named Maddie Roth, um, is walking away and in the background there's a bunch of little boys going to scavenge a fallen uh, down helicopter and I was like that's when it dawned on me I was like oh what if we just focus on the background of all of these frames and gin up the stories there who are they and that felt much more interesting to me and also just the idea of you know we're telling a story about New York which if you take a 10% cross-section of New York you're going to get people from all walks of life from all faiths and, uh, and we needed to do that justice. And me, I have a very specific, you know, angle on, in this, which is to celebrate, uh, you know, Latinos in specific, but all people of color, uh, you know, pr produce something that is, that is inclusive and fair, and it felt endemically New York uh, to do so, and to focus it on a, a woman, um, uh, you know, this sort of like superhero caregiver, uh, you know, this one vessel of accountability in this that, of course can only be played by Rosaria Dawson. Yes. Played by Rosaria Dawson. <laughs> I mean, literally agree, that is the, the Wikipedia entry for her. Yes. It felt it felt fresh, you know, it felt fresh, it felt good. And and you know, I have a very lasting impression of, you know, I'm Colombian. Uh, yeah. the 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 mothers in my world, my own mother, my three older sisters who are also my mothers. There, it's such a sacrosanct station, um, mm -hmm. and so there was a lot to draw on there, uh, and it felt it felt correct, especially in ideating on what would a new America look like if we had a tabula rasa. Um, and to uh, that, Ben, I mean, in many ways, as the up to it, no spoilers, all episodes are up on HBO Max. So if you haven't watched DMZ, I suggest you do at this point in the podcast. Ben, mm -hmm. as the presumptive governor of the DMZ, right. your character comes at this from a very different place, seemingly to be someone who wants to be a uniter, but is in fact a divider. And that's a very different character from the man we know you to play so often. So dude, what's with becoming the bad guy? Well, it's just more. I mean, even when you played the bad guy in other things, you've kind of been the good bad guy. It's that all the grace have come in finally, Dominic, and I've earned my stripes. So it, 
no. Um, no, just, just to kind of back up a little bit before I answer your question, um, I had uh, literally no idea of the source material before I read the pilot. Um, and so when I first sat down with Roberto and Ava uh, to talk about, you know, working with them on this, um, you know, essentially it was a meeting that, that was a kind of audition. I wanted the part and they were kind of checking me out. Um, I think in part because of what you're alluding to is I think historically I've been seen as an actor um, um, different than what I see myself as a character actor. Really, I think my best roles come about when I can go through a complete transformation, but largely been pigeonholed as a leading man, a guy in a uniform, the, the good guy, what have you. So that meeting initially- oh, And I might add, of, one of the best actors of his generation, just so- I, Super sweet to say. Anyway, also has I, the added I, benefit I, of being true, my friend. I, I digress, but I, I take the compliment. Um, so, so when the role finally came my way and we all jumped into that sandbox together, you know, we, the notion was a two or three season series. Um, then the pandemic hit. And so the pilot itself that we shot had to be adapted to what is essentially would be a much, um, a much shorter uh, time frame of a story to tell. And Roberto, it speaks to his brilliance, really, that he took um, a Bible that covered two to three years and turned it into, you know, a very condensed. But but the sleight of hand that I was not aware of until we were deep into the second episode was was what he did with the story. He takes this immense canvas, this idea of America in the throes of a second civil war and Manhattan being completely abandoned other than those who were left behind or decided to stay behind in this demilitarized zone. It's a fascinating concept. It's a huge frame to fill, but his choice really, and I think it was really rather smart in hindsight was to focus on the human story. What is this, what is this really about? Um, and it's about a few different things, but chiefly it's a family drama. You know, if you really look at exactly. the, the leading characters, it's about a mother trying to reconnect with her son to reestablish a love that she always believed was there, but she, um, no spoilers here, but um, learns that it might've been different than she remembered it. I, you know, Ben, honestly, I do think that we can spoil it. We always say this to people who, who listen to Hero Nation and we do put it when we, we put it up on the site too, is like, if you feel you're listening to this and you don't know the story, hit the pause button, go right. watch the story, come back, <laughs> Because we've seen it. That's why we're talking to the, the brains behind it. I love it. Yeah. 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 So, so, um, but to get round to your question, the thing that I found fascinating about this particular guy was, um, was his sensibility in terms of where he came from. And Roberta was really instrumental in, in beyond writing on the page and helping me understand the mindset of a guy like this. He sent me a book, in fact, um, by a New York Times journalist, uh, J.C. Trevers, The yeah. Fighter is the book. And, and he's a, a war correspondent and a former soldier himself. And there's one, one part of the book that follows the life of a young private from the Bronx, I think, who goes off to war and quickly learns of the futility of what they're doing. Um, you know, he's, he's always been the bottom rung on the ladder in, in New York society and in, in in the chain of command out in the, in the theater of war, it's the same thing. You have these people above you making decisions that really determine your life um, and ultimately you have no stay in it. And the futility of it really falls on you heavy when you realize that at the end of the day, the only thing you're really fighting for is, is the brotherhood that you've established within your company. So that was kind of an interesting idea to play with as a person returning to Manhattan, 
now in the throes of war on either side of them, but seeing an opportunity, really a chance to kind of restart and reestablish a form of government um, that is, is perhaps a little bit more uh, democratic. I think that's his belief, but at, at the end of the day, he is a product of his environment. He can't yeah. help but, but, but be a victim of, of the, the male toxicity that he, that he grew up in. Um, and, and also, I would say, what, Mike makes right. In terms of Parco's character, and, and, and just to, to give a little bit of, you know, Ben's character, Parco, is the leader of the Spanish Harlem Kings, who control a large part of, of what remains of Manhattan. Also, as we discover, he is the ex of Rosario's character, right. which means, so to, to your point, when you talk about this being a family drama, you leaned into one part of it. But it's also a father not being able to let go of his son right? and make his son into his own blunt instrument. And that was a very, very interesting dynamic watching that with, with you guys. Very much so. Well, listen, I'll be really uh, upfront with you. When Roberto finally released the, the subsequent three episodes, of the scripts to me, and I read them, you know, out of courtesy, you have to call your showrunner writer right away and let them know your opinion. I could not. I, I think he probably thought I hated it. Yeah, I sent them I went, to you on a Monday. I, I went dark. Hearing from him maybe Tuesday night, and it was. I went oh, dark. I think for almost a week, um, yeah. where I couldn't pick up the phone, and and frankly, because it terrified me, and I didn't want to do it. What I read and what I saw on the page in the form of Parko and what he, how he conducts himself, and you know, he he uses children in the instrument of war. He emotionally manipulates his son uh, to, to do his bidding, to kill people at his behest. This is a really detestable um, set of circumstances uh, um, to find yourself in and someone to play. And I always want to find the humanity of that, but I was really having a real problem with yeah. it. So he's, this, he's really this close to being a sociopath is what I said to Roberto. Mm -hmm. And to his credit, he, he talked me off the ledge. He said, no, 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 I, I understand uh, what it is you're feeling, but what I want to drill into is is the backstory on how he got there and how this legacy of toxic male energy continues to play out because no one's no one's putting up the corrective. There's an absence of this of this feminine energy. You right. know, patriarchy has ruled the world, and look where it's gotten us. He uh -huh. said, "I you know I studied I studied I was an honor student in U.S. history." He told me the first thing we studied are all the dates and all the names of all the wars in all of civilization. Like, why does that keep happening? Yeah. And that was really, really insightful and helped me to realize, oh, okay, this person on some level is, is like, a, like a Shakespearean tragic hero. Um, he it's is. only in the last moments of, of the story as we watch it unfold that he realizes the error in his ways and that he perhaps should have done things a little bit differently. Because what does he lose? He loses the things he cares most about. That's the love of his son Mm -hmm. and his home the right. only place he's ever lived the island of manhattan i also think you know he, he if you think of parko as a father and if you think of rosario of alma, of alma um excuse me rosario's character alma as a mother you know as parents you're just trying to do your best for your kid right and here right. is perhaps one of the most exaggerated circumstances most heightened circumstances you can imagine and i think parko uh, you know, has his ideals and has his hopes and dreams and sees the opportunity that this war presents. But at the same time, you want your kid to be well. You want your kid to, to do well, to survive. 
And what does that what what does that mean for you as a father in a state of war? Well, you got to make your kid, especially an ex uh, uh, an ex army uh, person, you you make your son a soldier. So in in a lot of ways, I think Parco took Freddie Miyares' character uh, Christian, aka Skell, under his wing and and taught him how to survive. And of course, there was there was you know that was fed his agenda ultimately. But I also, you know, in, in, in that regards, you know, Ben's arc in that character, in that capacity and Rosario's character also, the story is, is in a lot of ways about coming to terms with looking yourself in the mirror and the, the, the sort of the sins of the, of the parent from a long time ago, what you think was doing the best for your son uh, or, your, or your daughter, your child, um, how that sort of blows back on you. Uh, and, and so I think there is a, the, the, there is a way of seeing the show as one big sort of come to Jesus of, you know, owning up to your own shortcomings um, for the first time, especially in a war and in a world where we're so quickly ignoring what we've done uh, and just looking forward. So I think, you know, th there's one character uh, played by Jade Wu. Her name is Susie. She is uh, Wilson's sort of caretaker. Wilson played by Hoon Lee. And Jade Wu has a, has a line that uh, Rosario's character internalizes, which is the cycle is the cycle. Um, it always happens, you know, uh, men who rule for and by themselves will succumb. Um, and, and that's kind of what triggers uh, at, at the core of Alma, what triggers her turn, which is, well, I'm gonna break that cycle. We're gonna do this as a community. We're going to do this as a unit, as as a table, a, a legitimate table of power. So, Roberto, tell us about making this series just four episodes. What was the decision behind that? That decision was not mine, unfortunately. Uh, I of course would have loved, uh, you know, all the episodes. You know, like Ben said, I had a I I had a Bible that uh, still have a Bible that goes out to five seasons, wow. um, but you know it. The timing was both at once incredibly fortuitous, but also horrible. You know, we were the last show um, to shut down. And by that, I mean, I did some quick rewriting. We managed to carve out one day of production and we were able to get the thing in the can. And then we were done. This is March 20th, 2020. So then- So you were, you were like just over the line, but made it. We, yeah, we literally, we- and, and we should tell people, by the way, Roberto, even though of course DMZ takes place in Manhattan, was almost all of it was shot in Atlanta. All of it was shot in Atlanta, that's right. Um, which uh, you, we can get to in a second. That, that actually turned out to be the only way to shoot uh, hmm. a Manhattan that was turned inside out. Um, but, but, so we managed to shoot the film, right? Uh, we got it. And then Ava and I, and our editor, Gina Hirsch, um, spent the next three months putting it together <laughs> right when we were at the worst of the worst. The, the stock market was at, at the bare bottom. Uh, you know, uh, there were a lot of changes going on at max. It just, there was uncertainty. And there was this that. rather tumultuous federal uh, presidential Super tumultuous. Election. We were getting notes from different people, it seemed like every week. And then we turned in this pilot, which is gorgeous, which Ava completely just masterfully did. And they were all blown away. They were like, we love this show. It's also so expensive. Yeah. Um, and so it really, you know, came down to a question of money. 
uh, at a very uncertain time uh, at a nascent uh, streamer. You know, the, the HBO Max had been alive now, I think like two, three months. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it was, so that that's where the four episodes came out of. Um, and, you know, that was the mandate. And, you know, I, I definitely would have loved more, but, but it ended up being, uh, a, a, an amazing challenge. Uh, do, you, do you feel in some ways now in hindsight, and now that it's been up on the streamer for a little while, do you feel maybe that maybe less is more? I do think less is more. I think, you know, this, this show lives in under the popular drama and trending drama, uh, tab on HBO max. It's mm. it's never not been there. Uh, yeah, you know, and in the nice. popular dome, I think, and because I'm OCD, I, it's been in the top five since its debut. When it they like your baby, one. they like your baby. Um, so I, I do think that's really uh, encouraged the intake of it. You know, it's a nice little uh, uh, a, a, a nutritious lunch to chew on. Uh, you can you can watch it really quick and and be done with it. Uh, but it does leave you wanting more. Uh, and there are certainly more from wh uh, where that came from. Well, okay, so we're going to ask you, you know, the story, no disrespect, Ben, you might not be a part of it, <laughs> forward, but the story, the story doesn't end as so much as it pivots where we are. And, and, and as the discussion has been brought up, discussions of, of toxic masculinity, patriarchy, mm -hmm. political hierarchy, social inequity, right. um, racism let's be truthful um, and and sexual sexual and physical violence both mental and physical actually sorry um these these things are all there like literally in the last few minutes but also throughout the entire show that's right are you guys thinking maybe you could you know you could rock and roll a little more well, absolutely uh we can definitely rock and roll a lot more you know the the show that was that was part of the the design you know the the show being a show that is going to sort of, you know, really focus, like Ben said, on this super multi-layered world, have a very, very narrow aperture on this, this family story, the story about this mother looking for her son. You know, it's a very simple story in this very complicated world. And also it being a story of, that looks upward, you know, the, the, the Alma's sort of uh, uh, mantra is eyes forward love. So having a show that looks forward, we, I really wanted it to start at a nadir and have it continually arc upwards. Um, and it ends, it ends kind of when it's leaving the cliff, so to speak, and, and it's, it's ready to soar. Uh, and that was by design. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the answer is yes, Dominic, absolutely. We can, we can rock and roll a ton. There's, there's plenty of stories more uh, where that came from. And I, you know, the DMZ is such a rich place right? It's not about war. This is a story set in war, but war are like, it's like the ghosts on the periphery across the rivers. This is about a Manhattan that's gone pear-shaped. And it's about, you know, a disparate people that have come together and recreated a new fabric of society that in a lot of ways is truly free, you know, and that, you know, that brings up a lot of things. You have people in power now who are, you know, actively working to strip our freedoms. You have the don't say gay bill, you know, you have voter suppression. Basically um, the entire Republican party and a few Southern <laughs> Democrats. Well, yeah, right. But- Just calling them out, that's who they are. Yeah. But you think of, of, of the DMZ, uh, and this is something that Hoon Lee's character, Wilson espouses, is that for the first time ever, 
you are truly free here to do whatever you want. You don't have a system telling you what's cool, what's good, what, uh, what is a good use of your time. That's up to you to decide. And I think you know that just begets an incredible, incredible trove of characters that you know the stories are are infinite. You know, uh, Dominic. So there's, the, uh, there's plenty more DMZ to, to to be had for sure. I would add that the current ending of the DMZ uh, limited series, as it exists, notwithstanding, uh, I I so enjoyed working with Roberto that I actually pitched him an idea. I think Skell, <laughs> you know, has second thoughts. He comes over, he he breaks me out of the brig. Or wherever oh. I'm locked up currently, and they spin off from there. What what they get up to, no one knows. But the return of Parco, the return of Parco. Return. That's my pitch. <laughs> it could become it could become you know because as but in all seriousness, Roberto, you know, you could have you could have two different shows, one with Alma, and then you could have literally a road movie with the two of them. That's and, right, and reconnecting. That's right. No, I think, you know, the, the, the way the story wants to go is to, to create a DMZ universe where you have, you know, we've set up our characters here, but you have, you know, maybe focus on other characters that, that Alma as the new governess would, would uh, you know, transect, uh, you know, and you have the Parco character who's in the United States. What does he do? Does he become a spy? Does he become a sort of envoy? Um, like I, I would want to build outwards the world because it's so rich. You know, you're also dealing with with a host of characters who were one thing mm -hmm. and have now become something else, right? right. You know, like uh, uh, you know, using Wilson for example, he was an orderly. Yeah, <laughs> he was an orderly at an ER, and now he's the the ruler of Chinatown. Um, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, isn't it? I mean, one of the things I think about the show is, in that way, it's a very deft way of talking about the lack of social mobility in America right. and the ability that the crisis brings. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, to be able to do that in an authentic way with people of color uh, front and center, that, that to me, I think if I could distill one thing that, that I am so, so proud of is, is it's that it's, it's just, you look at our cast and with the exception of Nora Dunn, everyone, was a, a person of color. And, you know, to be able to take, you know, an incredible talent like Ben Bratt, incredible talent like, like Rosario, these two movie stars and pull them front and center, who is, who, you know, and we, Ben and I have talked about this, I think has, have been sort of exoticized as like the other, you know, the partner to, the boyfriend to, the girlfriend to, et cetera. To be able to put them front and center and let them play it was just dynamite. It was dynamite. And then you, know, you, you fill out the other characters like, like Hoon Lee, Jordan Preston Carter, uh, Freddie Millares, uh, Sydney Park, Jade Wu, all these kind of under the radar, uh, you know, incredible talents. Just being able to give them the sandbox to play in was, was so, such a wonderful experience. Roberto, speaking of which, what is next for you immediately? Are you working on anything? Are you I going am, yes. back to Westworld? No, 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 no. I, uh, I, you know, I've had the good fortune of uh, working at a number of places. I worked with uh, at FX on Sons of Anarchy. Um, I worked with HBO, Westworld, HBO Max. Now with DMZ, uh, I just I'm in a development deal now with with Netflix. Um, and I am uh, currently developing this uh, new title. It's a comic book series that's that's amazing called Noctera uh, with uh, James Wan and Michael Clear at Atomic Monster. 
Um, and it's, it's a very, very cool world uh, where night has befallen everywhere. The sun stopped coming up. And, uh, and if you're exposed to the darkness for over 30 minutes at a time, you start turning into this horrific version of yourself, what they call a shade. And so the whole thing is like this road movie. It's kind of like, you can imagine um, like Mad Max Fury Road meets Jurassic Park. Uh, but but it, it's another world building show um, and it's very, very thoughtful and soulful, but, but certainly a, a sci-fi adventure. Have you casted that up yet? I, I haven't casted. We're still we're still uh, developing it, um, but it's going well. Uh, it's going really well. Yeah, um, I'm, I've got another project there that uh, is in earlier stages of development that um, I'm not uh, I'm not going to talk too much about. Uh, but it's another very cool one that uh, you know has has a a, a Latin cast uh, front and center. Um, so, but it's been great. I, I've got those two projects cooking and I'm working on a, a feature film with, with Churn Entertainment and, and Netflix as well. My friend, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. If you haven't seen it, DMZ, all four episodes are on HBO Max. Check it out. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thanks. sir. Thank you so much for everyone listening to us. Thank you for talking about CinemaCon. Thank you for talking about Neil Adams. And thank you for listening to this episode and every episode of the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a single episode. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. Thank you. Thank you.